I'm really excited to be with you today to share our next installment in our Anchored series. My prayer for you in this series is that you would be deeply rooted in God and that your life would be built on His truth and on who He is so that you can grow in your faith and that you can overflow with thankfulness. And this week when I was preparing the sermon, I have a son, his name's Kai, he's four years old. He's super cute. And he came into the room and he was like, Mommy, I figured it out. And I was like, what did you figure out? He's like, God is not real. I was like, oh, no dear, tell me more. So he starts flapping his arms and he's like, look, I can't fly. And he's like, I prayed to God and I asked him to let me fly and I can't fly. So God is not real. And I was like, no, 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 my boy, that is not how it works. God is not your personal assistant or your, your, we had actually watched Aladdin just before that. And so I could use that. And I said, like, God is not your genie. Um, you can't just rub him and get every wish that you want. He's way bigger than that. And it made me think that maybe that's the way that we approach God sometimes. We like this idea of a pocket-sized God that we can carry around and whip out when we need help or when, um, when we need some encouragement. But God is so much bigger than that. If we could just snap our finger and get what we wanted when we wanted it, that would make us God and that would make God our slave. And that's not how it works. We were not created. I mean, God, we, were, we did not create God. We were created for God. We were created to shine God's glory. And so today I want to talk to you about the sovereignty of God. And I know this is a subject that can sometimes be misunderstood because before you can understand the sovereignty of God, you need to understand God's love for you in order to not misunderstand God's sovereignty. But I also believe that I don't think we can fully understand God's grace and God's love for us and salvation. I don't think we can carry the weight of what salvation actually means until we understand that God is sovereign. And so today I want to look at the life of Joseph. And we're going to go through his life and kind of unpack the story a bit to see. And I think it's going to show us a picture of God's sovereignty. And we've also, I've also got a memory verse for you today. And every week we've been giving you a verse that we're wanting you to um, memorize, to meditate on, so that it can help you to build your life on it. It's a promise from God that you can stand on and declare in your life. And we're going to look at this verse and how it plays out in Joseph's life. And the verse is Romans 8, verse 28. It says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. And so just to quickly put this into a bit of context, this is Paul speaking. And um, in the verses before that, so obviously it's saying, and we know. So there's something else that he knew before this. And in the verses before this, Paul is actually talking about suffering. And he's saying, yes, we are suffering. Yes, things are hard, but that's nothing compared to the glory that we're going to experience one day. And he's talking about heaven. He's talking about a future glory. And he says, we have a taste of it now because we have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit helps us when we're weak. The Holy Spirit helps us um, when, we, when we need God. And he even helps us to pray. But he's saying like we have a hope of a future glory. And so we, this life is not everything, but one day there will be a life where there's no more suffering, no more pain and no more hurt. And then he says, and we know this, that 
God causes everything, all of these things, all the sickness, all the unrest, all the, all the negativity in this world. He causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. So for his children. And so let's, have, let's start with our story on Joseph and we'll see how this, how this verse comes to life in that story. So Joseph was, this, the story of Joseph is found in Genesis. It's a really long story, so I'm not going to read it for you, but you can go look in Genesis um, and go and read it. It's a really interesting, really brilliant story. So Joseph is the favorite son of his father, and his father, is, his father Jacob is, makes that very clear. He actually makes him this beautiful robe of um, like multicolored robe, which he doesn't give to any of his other 11 sons only to Joseph. And so obviously that would have caused a bit of, you know, animosity between the brothers. And then to top it off, Joseph has these two dreams. In the first dream, um, him and his brothers are collecting wheat and then he's, all his brother's wheats actually bow down to his bales of wheat. And so he goes and tells his brothers this, like, hey, I had this dream and you guys were bowing down to me. And maybe he's a little bit arrogant in that, but, or he's just, um, yeah, oblivious to it, but he's, that doesn't make things sit well with him and his brothers. And then he has a second dream. And in this dream, he dreams that all the, the sun and the moon and the stars all bow down to him. And so he goes and tells his dad and his brothers, and they're like, do you really think that the sun, the moon, and the stars, that, that you, that your mom, myself, and, and all your brothers are going to bow down to you? And so his brothers are not very happy with him. And so the one day he's, he's going out to check on his brothers while they're watching the sheep and they see him coming and they, put, they start plotting to kill him. And the one brother says, no, 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 let's not kill him. Like, let's just throw him down a well and just leave him for the wild animals. Then at least we don't have to say that we killed him, you know. We don't have to carry that around with, him, with us. And so they throw him in this well. And um, that brother was actually planning on coming to get him out. But before he could do that, these Egyptian traders come past. And the brothers are like, actually, he is, it says this, like, actually, he's our, he is our flesh and blood after all. Maybe we shouldn't kill him. Let's just sell him as a slave. And then we actually make money off of it. So not very nice brothers. But anyway, the Egyptian um, traders come and they, and they sell Joseph to him. And Joseph ends up as a slave in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar is the captain of the guard to Pharaoh. And I want to read to you from Genesis chapter 39, verse 2 to 3. It says, The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the house of his Egyptian master. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. So already we can see how God is turning some of this to the good. Then Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. And Joseph is a righteous man and he runs out of the house and he's like, I'm not doing this. God has blessed me in this place. I'm going to be faithful to him. But he gets convicted anyway. And he gets thrown into prison. He gets put into the king's prison. So he served faithfully and yet he gets thrown into prison. And in chapter 39 verse 21, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. So he was shown favor. 
The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. So we can already see God is turning. Even in this situation, God is turning things to the good. That doesn't mean that he took him out. Remember, Joseph is still in prison. He was still a slave. He hasn't taken him out of that situation and allowed him to go back home. But in that situation, as Joseph is faith, faithful, as Joseph honors God, God is using him and giving him favor, even in his suffering. And so he's put in charge of the prisoners, including the king's cupbearer and baker. And the cupbearer and baker have dreams, and he interprets them, and they come true. And he says to the cupbearer, please, when you get back to the king, remember me. I, he says, I was a slave. Um, I mean, I've been sold into slavery. I've been put in prison, even though I haven't done anything. Like, please remember me and speak up to the king for me. But the cupbearer doesn't remember that. He goes back into the palace. And two years later, Pharaoh has two dreams. And these dreams are disturbing. And so he um, tries to find anyone in the nation that can help him to interpret the dreams and then this cupbearer remembers oh wait there was that guy in prison that you know helped us and he interpreted our dreams and they both came true and so he sends for joseph and joseph comes to pharaoh and he interprets pharaoh's dreams and we pick up in chapter 41 verse 28 to 32 it says this will happen just as i have described it this is joseph speaking for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, there will be seven years of famine, so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be forgotten, will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God and will soon, he will soon make them happen. And so Joseph suggests to Pharaoh that he should put somebody in charge of the land so that they can keep a percentage of the food aside from the good years um, to provide for the bad years. And in chapter 39, verse 40, it says, So Pharaoh asked his officials, Can we find anyone else? like this man, so obviously filled with the Spirit of God. The, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank that is higher than yours. And so Joseph came out of captivity ready to run a country. In his suffering, God was preparing him for greatness. In Joseph's suffering, God was preparing him for greatness. And so I believe that when Paul, in that, in that scripture, when Paul is talking about that he will turn everything to the good, I think he's talking about spiritual good and eternal good. And now God does turn things to good for temporal good sometimes, just because he can. And I've seen those blessings in my life and I'm grateful for them but I'm more grateful for the times where God has strengthened me spiritually or prepared me for eternity. It says, Pharaoh says, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled 
with the Spirit of God. God was preparing Joseph. God was strengthening Joseph. He turned things to the good for Joseph spiritually so that he could be strong in his faith, so that he could interpret these dreams, so that he could become second in charge of a great nation. And those, these are the kinds of blessings that we need to be hungry for. We need to hunger after becoming more like Jesus. We need to be asking God, God, help me to become more like you. Bless me with more kindness, more gentleness. Bless me with wisdom and understanding. Bless me with the gifts, with more of your gifts so that I can bring more honor and glory to you. And if growing spiritually is not something that you, um, that you find important, then you need to have a look at your relationship with God and ask him, to help you to turn his heart, turn your heart more towards him. And my question is, how are you coming out of your lockdown? So Joseph came out of his lockdown ready to take on a nation. He was spiritually full and strong. Are you allowing God to strengthen you spiritually in this time? So eventually everything happens as Joseph said it would. They have seven years of, of plenty and they, he helps them save up food so that they've got the food that they need for the seven years of famine. And two years into that process, um, Jacob, Joseph's father, hears that there's food in Israel, I mean in Egypt, and so he sends his ten sons to go up and to buy food for them. And remember, this is 22 years later. This is 22 years after he had been sold as a slave. And so Joseph was almost 40 by this time. And so they come to him and they don't recognize him and they bow before him. And Joseph remembers, Joseph recognizes them and he remembers the dream that he had as a kid. And so a lot of things happen and they go fetch the younger brother and they bring him up and eventually Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And I want to read you what he says. In chapter 45, verse 5, he says, But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. In chapter 50 verse 20, and I love this, it says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save many lives. You see, Joseph realized that his dreams that he had as a boy, they were never about him. His dreams were about God. It was about bringing God's plans and God's purposes into fruition. It was for God's glory. It was never about Joseph. And this, this speaks to me about God's sovereignty. You see, the fact that God is sovereign means that all things are under his control. He is in complete control of the universe past, present, future. Nothing happens beyond his knowledge and his control. We serve a massive God. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is everywhere, all the time. He's all-present. And the Eastern Bible Dictionary describes sovereignty as his absolute right 
to do all things according to his own good pleasure. See, the fact that God is sovereign essentially means that he has the power, he has the wisdom, and he has the authority to do whatever he chooses. But God doesn't always exert that, um, that control on us. Out of his love, he actually gives us the choice, the freedom to choose. And this is why we need to understand the love of God in his sovereignty, that he gives us freedom of choice. He says in his word, he says, I lay before you life and death. Choose life. But we have the option to choose death and then to live in the consequences of our actions. And so this means that sometimes things happen in the world that God would not want it. He would not have chosen to happen. But he's given us the choice to choose, the freedom to choose. And in that, God stole all of those, the bad choices, the um, the fact that there is sin and there's, um, there's sickness and disease and hardships in this life, God still chooses to turn all of that to our good if we will love him and submit our lives to his, to his plans and his purposes. And he doesn't do this for everyone. Some people are living in the consequences of their actions, of, of their sin. But God does this for his children. So this is why I wanted this memory verse for us today, because this is a promise that as a child of God that we can stand on. If we love God, the Bible says the greatest commandment is that we love God with all of our heart, all of our mind and all of our soul. If we love God and we've surrendered our lives to his plans and his purposes, then we can stand on this verse that he will cause all of this to work to good, to work together for our good, for our spiritual good and our eternal good. And so what is our response in this time? How do we respond to God's sovereignty? Number one, and my first point today is when we understand God's sovereignty, we honor, we will honor and worship him. We were made to shine his glory. A picture that's painted or an art that's created doesn't shine its own glory. It shows off the talent and the greatness of the artist, the one who created it. And we are to shine God's glory. We don't deserve his grace. He gives us salvation and he gives us his grace because the Bible says he, for, um, to demonstrate the riches of his glory. So to show us, he gives us all these good things to show us that he is good, that he is gracious, that he is kind. It shows of his goodness. And our response to that should be to worship him. And this reminds me of that cat and dog analogy. You know, they say you give a dog food, you love him, you care for him. And he says, wow, like, you're amazing. Like, you are good. You must be a god. Like, you are so good. But then you do the same for a cat. And I don't know if I believe this because I love my cat. But <laughs> he says you give, do the same for a cat. You love him, you feed him, you care for him. And he's like, whoa. I must be a God, like I am good, I am great, because I am getting all the stuff. And I think that's where we need to be careful what our response is to God. God loves us, he blesses us, he gives us things. He is good because he's good. And our response should be to give him honor and glory. We were made to bring him honor and glory. So when we understand God's sovereignty, we will honor and worship him. And I want to read you Revelation chapter 4, verse 19 to 11. And this is um, 
John's uh, experience, he has this vision of heaven when he's on the island of Patmos. And it says, whenever the living beings, so this is Jesus in heaven, whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. So they, are, they worship, there's this amazing picture of, of, everyone, of the people in heaven just worshiping Jesus. And that's what our, our response to his sovereignty needs to be. When we understand God's sovereignty, we will honor and worship him. Okay, number two is when, my second point is when we understand God's sovereignty, we can confidently put our trust in him. God's sovereignty should give us peace. The fact that we know that he controls everything, that he is bigger than us, that should give us peace. It should help us not to worry. And not only do we know that he's in control, we also know that he loves us. And so we know that he loves us and we know that he's able to actually do what we're asking him to do. God, what God creates, he sustains. God didn't simply make the world, um, bring the world into existence in a moment. He is still holding it. He is still sustaining it. He is still keeping it. God had a plan and a purpose for Joseph's life, and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. But we are the variables. So we, we decide, we can, make, we can make decisions. And so can we love God enough to trust him? Even when we can't see what he's doing, even when we don't understand what he's doing, can we trust, trust him? Can we love him enough to trust him? See, I've got this puzzle piece here, and if you look at this, okay, if I look at this, I don't really know what this is. I'm like, okay, this is confusing. And that's sometimes life. We don't know what's happening. And we can maybe find another piece of the puzzle and say, oh, okay, I get it. This, this is, oh, sorry. This is a picture of a lion, okay. No, it's not. This is a massive picture of a jungle with all kinds of lions, all kinds of animals that we can't see. Okay, this is all we get to see, but God knows the final picture. God knows the pieces of the puzzle that are missing that we don't understand. And so we need to, we don't have to, we're not called to understand God. We're called to love him and to trust him. And when we know that he sees the bigger picture, we can trust him with our daily details. So when we understand God's sovereignty, we can confidently put our trust in him. Number three, when we understand God's sovereignty, we are less concerned with what he can do for us and more concerned with what we can do for him. Okay, I'll say that again. When we understand God's sovereignty, we are less concerned with what he can do for us and more concerned with what we can do for him. So our response needs to be like, wow, God, you are good. We're going to worship you. Wow, God, you are massive. I can trust you. Wow, God, you are good. What can I do? How can I respond? How can I, what can I give? How can I serve you? How can I love you? 
How can I surrender my life to you? Matthew 6 verse 33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. We need to submit our lives to him. We need to seek his kingdom first and try to live righteously, putting him in his rightful place as first in our lives. Even when Jesus taught us how to pray, he said, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done. So if we want to test where we are with this in our lives, if we want to see if we are seeking God's kingdom first, if we are responding in the right way, then we need to look at our prayer life. What are our prayers? What are our prayers telling us about our relationship with Jesus? Are we just rattling off a list to God? Are we treating him like a genie or like our personal butler? God, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, amen, and then we don't think about him again. Or are, is our lives surrendered and submitted to his plans and purposes? Are we praying for things that matter to him? Are we asking him to show us, say, God, search me, See, search my heart and show me, is there anything in me that offends you? What are you wanting to point out in my character? What are you wanting to, how are you wanting to help me grow spiritually? So look at your prayer life and see where, where those areas are that we maybe need to submit more to God. So in closing, I want to pray for you. And I want to ask you to do something, because when, when I was preparing this and I was preparing this, this closing part, I had an incredible moment with God. And I felt like I needed to respond to this message. I couldn't just, just say this, like, wow, I was so overcome by how big God is. And so I actually got onto my knees and I just lifted my hands and I just started praying into that, that scripture from Revelation and just saying those words, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created everything and everything exists because you created what you pleased. And so I wanna encourage you even right now, don't worry about who's next to you. If you're watching with your family, don't you just all wanna stand up just stand up in your home, wherever you are. If you're in your bedroom by yourself, maybe you even just want to go on your knees before God. And I want you to think of those three responses. Which one of those do you need to respond to today? Maybe you just need to lift your hands and just worship God. Maybe you need to say sorry to God for not surrendering or not, um, not trusting Him. Maybe you have seen him as smaller than what he really is. And you just say, God, I'm sorry. You are big. You are powerful. You are mighty. Or maybe you need to submit your life to his plans and his purposes for you. Maybe you've been living your life the way that you want to and just keeping God as this side option or this add-on to your life. Maybe even right now in your room or in your lounge with your family, maybe you need to commit to surrendering your life to his plans and his purposes for you. Because then everything that happens in life, whether good or bad, whether sickness or in health, God will turn it all to the good for his glory and for his purposes, for the, his purposes for you. And if you have never done that before, if you've never given your life to Jesus, maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, oh, I've I don't even know where to start. Then I wanna encourage you to pray after me. Okay, all you need to do is acknowledge that He is Lord. Know that He is the supreme ruler of this world. You need to recognize your need for Him and for His forgiveness. And then you need to receive His free gift of salvation. 
So I'm gonna pray for you right now. And if, if you are making that decision to follow Jesus for the first time, then I wanna encourage you to pray this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the king of this world. You are the supreme ruler. Lord, you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm sorry that I haven't lived a life that has been surrendered to you. Please forgive me. And I wanna to choose today to start a relationship with you. I receive your free gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed.